Okay, we're going to complete this series for the next three weekends, this weekend, next Saturday, and the subsequent Saturday. Okay, uh, Today, we're going to talk about the differences between the day of the Lord <coughs> and the day of Christ. All right, I guess previously to uh, beyond a year uh, previously, uh, I never knew the differences until the whole of last year, All right, when we studied this in the, in the Scriptures. Okay, firstly, a couple of recaps. Firstly, why bother to know the time of the end? All right, uh, I've heard many Christians say, oh, all I want to know is I'm going to be raptured, and that's it. All right, see why Tai Chi, that's not my problem. Wrong thinking, okay? Why bother? I want to give you three reasons, all right? If I can put it together. First reason is we will be blessed to read, we will be blessed to hear, we will be blessed to keep the prophetic word. And for all those of you who are watching this uh, sermon online, all right, this is very important. There is a blessing that comes from reading, hearing, and keeping the prophetic word. And with that, we need to keep on learning <clears throat> because revelation is progressive. Revelation is progressive with current insights. And uh, today, the year 2021 in February, is very different from 100 years ago. It's very different from even 50 years ago because we are nearing and nearing the time of the rapture and the end. And the Spirit of God is unpacking and revealing this more and preparing the church ready <coughs> for the Lord Jesus. So this is very important. Uh, the scripture for that is Revelations 1.3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. And obviously today in February 2021 is a lot nearer than the time when the Apostle John wrote this uh, book of Revelation. All right? So we must pay attention. We must keep it. Previously, you have not heard, known about the difference between the second coming and the rapture. Previously, you do not know about the different covenant, that God has two covenantal people. Previously, you do not know, um, for example, about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. All right? Essentially, they are the same, but one is geared more towards Israel and one is geared towards the church. And previously, as you study the Scriptures more, you find the, the references, for example, uh, the Son of Man pertains more for Israel and the Son of God pertains more for the church. Although they are the same. It's the same, our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So this is when we come, as we appreciate the Word, it will help us. The second reason is evangelism. Evangelism. The salvation of our loved ones is at stake. At the end of the day, the bottom line, Revelation 20.15 says, whoever whose name is not in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. For their rebellion, for their unbelief, for their rejection of God, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Every human being has a choice. And they have more than a chance, many, many chances, because our God is loving, our God is just, and our God is righteous. And how is man going to be judged? The book of life will be open. The books of every life will be open. We'll talk about that in a moment. And how will salvation be determined according to the revelation of God in the person's life? Whether it's according to creation, whether it's according to conscience, whether it's according to the eternity that God has placed in men, and in these last days, according to Christ, the gospel. So every human being will have more than an opportunity to receive God to believe in God, to, to accept God into their lives. How do we go about evangelism? From this church, we have learned two key principles, two sides of the same coin. On the one side is relationship. Keep on building bridges. Keep on strengthening the relationship with the person. And on the other side, 
pray specific strategic prayer to tear down the strongholds in their lives that blocks the knowledge of God. Don't pray general prayers. And we've seen people coming to know the Lord. Whole households can come to know the Lord as we do so because the Lord has promised us in these keys, in these principles in the Word of God. And it works. It worked in my family. The last to be saved was my father. Very, very stubborn man 12 years ago when he was 84. Today he's 96, turning 97 in a couple of months. Don't give up. Keep on pursuing the salvation of your loved ones. Thirdly, we are told in 2 Peter 1.19 to heed the prophetic word. We are to heed the prophetic word until the rapture. All right? What does it mean to heed? We need to work on deepening our own relationship with God. We need to strengthen our own altar of thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And today, as I was worshipping at the bank, it's so heartening, all right? Be lost into the presence of God. Uh, and this is one of the reasons, one of the very important factors to keep us close to God, to keep us from falling, which I'm going to talk about along the, uh, towards the end of the message. How not to fall? One of the ways not to fall is to experience the reality of God in our lives. Strengthen and realign our lives Godward. Reset our values and priorities. Recalibrate our choices continually. And with choices, there are outcomes and consequences. Refocus to fulfill our destiny to finish well. Why? Why do we want to finish well? I've heard um, a lot of messages because of we are the church, God is the gracious God, just focus on the rapture and that's it, we can live our lives any old way we want. Is that so? No. As we look to the blessed hope, to the rapture, we need to finish well. Why? Because there's a judgment seat of Christ. There is a consequence for every believer. This is spelled out very clearly in 1 Corinthians 3. All right? Our lives are either gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And Paul gives the illustration, they will all go through the fire. Fire will burn away wood, hay, and stubble. The same fire will purify gold, silver, precious stones. If wood, hay, and stubble is burned, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 3.15, we will suffer loss, although we will be just barely saved. So don't think in terms of only I have a passport to heaven, I can just do whatever I want. Don't regret, because you've heard this message again and again and again, as I'm saying it to myself, all right, as we live in these end times. A second recap, we need to know that Israel and the church are two separate covenantal people. We have said that from the beginning, God created man, mankind, all right? And there are people groups called nations, agnos. And then God called Abraham and instituted the nation of Israel. And from that time onward, there were Gentiles or Jews up to the time when Jesus came. But from the time Jesus rose from the dead until the rapture, every human being, Every Jew and Gentile who believe in Jesus will be saved and will be a part of the church, according to Romans 1.16. So we're looking for the rapture of the church, the blessed hope. Then comes the tribulation, which we're going to talk about today. And then the second coming of Christ. And then we will all enter into what we call the millennial messianic kingdom of God. The 1,000 years of the reign and rule of Christ upon this earth. Who will be in there? The saved Israel, the saved Jews. That includes the Old Testament saints. Who else will be there? The church will be there to reign and rule with Christ. Who else will be there? The tribulation saints, those who are saved post-rapture up to uh, the seven years of tribulation and the surviving Gentiles. They will all enter into the millennial kingdom. 
and then we go into eternity. The differences between the day of the Lord and the day of Christ. Okay, let's look into it. The day of the Lord. Now, all these are in your notes. You don't have to copy the references and the terms, all right? I hope you get a copy on your way in. The day of the Lord, the exact phrase is mentioned many times in the Old Testament and several times in the New Testament, all right? I'll just show you the slide, all right? All these scriptures are in the notes, which is in the handout, all right? And they will be on the website. Okay, there are all these references, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord. All right, exact reference, we'll double-check three a few times, uh, it's in the handout. In the Old Testament, all these are the references. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, it's in Acts 2.20 and 1 Thessalonians 5.2. For example, in Acts 2.20, it talks about the cosmic blackout. The sun should be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Peter quoted this from Joel, but this has not been fulfilled. This will be fulfilled, and that's how do we interpret scriptures? Scripture interprets scripture. There are four references in Revelation 6, Joel 2, Acts 2, 20, and Matthew 24, 29. This will be fulfilled in the trumpet judgment, in the cosmic blackout. So this is future. This is yet to be. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. It comes beginning as a thief in the night, which I'll explain in a moment. All right? There are various names that are used in the Old Testament for the day of the Lord. These are some of the names, some of the references. Um, the time of Jacob's trouble, mentioned in Jeremiah. All these, again, are in your notes. All right? uh, it's known as the 70th week, what we preached the last message in Daniel chapter 9. It's known as the day of Israel's distress, Israel's calamity, mentioned in Obadiah. It's known as the indignation, the wrath of God, Isaiah and Daniel. It's the overflowing scourge. All these are terrible words. You don't want to be here during the time of the tribulation. Uh, it's known as the day of God's vengeance, the time of trouble, the day of wrath, the day of distress, the day of devastation, the day of desolation. All these are the words. Look at the various translations in Zephaniah the day of darkness, <clears throat> the day of gloominess, of thick darkness, the day of the trumpet and alarm. These are all the terms that are used, all right? Uh, for those of you who want to do further study, please do so. Uh, I've gone through all these scriptures more than once. I've got a, a couple of pastors to just go through the scriptures for me to just double check. These are all mentioned very clearly. There are also various names that are used in the New Testament for the day of the Lord. In, uh, it's mentioned as the day of the Lord, the day of the wrath of God in Revelations. The hour of trial, Revelation 3. The great day of the wrath of the Lamb of God in Revelations chapter 6. Um, the wrath to come, the wrath, the great tribulation, the tribulation, the hour of judgment. All right? So all these are th terms that are used here as well in the New Testament with all the scripture references. So as we study these, we need to piece it together. We need to connect the dots, all right, which I'm trying to do in this message. And it took me a, a, quite, a, quite a while. Now, the day of the Lord refers to the day of God's wrath, <coughs> destruction, and judgment. It is God's wrath, His destruction, and God's judgment upon this world. 
Isaiah 13, verse 9 to 11, Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel. The word cruel and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy the sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. This is a cosmic blackout. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. It is for the wicked, it is for the evil, it is for God-rejecting, God-hating world. Uh, Zephaniah 1, 14-16 The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. Therefore the mighty men shall cry out, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. We don't ordinarily hear this message. We don't ordinarily want to read this in the Bible. All right, we just skip it and just flip the pages. It's easier to talk about the love of God. Isaiah 34 verse 2 is called the indignation of the Lord upon the nations. Isaiah 34 verse 2, the host of heaven shall be dissolved, which is repeated in 2 Peter 3. The heavens shall be rolled up together as a scroll, repeated in Revelation 6. All their hosts shall fall down as a falling fig from a fig tree, repeated in Revelation 6.13. Isaiah 34 verse 8, this is the day of the Lord's vengeance. You know, talking about this, when Jesus entered the temple when he was on earth in Luke chapter 4, he quoted Isaiah 61. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel and so on and so forth. He stopped short. He just ended by saying, and the year of the Lord's favour. He did not quote the next line which was in Isaiah 61. What is the next line? The next line is, and the day, year of the vengeance of the Lord. Because Jesus came to bring good news in his first coming. Had Israel received him? Have they believed in him as the Messiah? All right? the, tribu- the millennial kingdom would have been ushered, but no. The year of the Lord's vengeance. Isaiah 6, 34, 8, similarly in Isaiah 61, verse 3. Joel 1, 15 is the destruction from the Almighty. Joel 2, a day of darkness and gloominess, of clouds and thick clouds. Uh, the believing rem- however, the believing remnant shall flee to Petra. And this is where when you study Acts chapter 2, when Peter quoted Joel 2, Peter did not quote the entire Joel 2. He stopped short of saying about the believing remnant that shall flee to Petra. He ended off with the last phrase, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's why it's so important uh, to, to compare Scripture with Scripture, with its context. Amos 5, the day of darkness, not light. Zechariah, he gathers all nations to battle against Jerusalem. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations at Jesus' second coming, at the battle of Armageddon. Alright? Now, this is the important part. How do we piece it all together? Okay? And this is the principle we must understand. Understanding prophecy and timing of its fulfilment. We need to know that time is a created dimension from God. God is outside of time. God lives from eternity past to eternity future. It's like a horizontal line that has no end. From left to right, a horizontal line. Somewhere along the horizontal line, God created time. 
but God is outside of time. So for example, in 2 Peter 3, it says, a thousand years to us, to men, is but a day to the Lord. So when we look into scriptures, there can be more than one prophecy in a single verse. I've given you examples in the previous message already. There can be more than one prophecy in a single verse or two verses next to each other, but its respective fulfillment can be over many years from man's perspective. So for example, Isaiah 9 verse 6 and 7, it talks about the birth of the Lord, that He should come, He should be called Wonderful Counselor, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, right? And His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. In the same verse, and the next verse, it says, the government shall be upon His shoulders. And it talks about the Millennial Kingdom. So from the time of Jesus' birth, <clears throat> and the time of the Millennial Messianic Kingdom, is just over 2,000 years. But it's in the same two verses. Two prophecies, in the same two verses, but they are separated in its fulfillment by almost 2,000 years apart. Alright? So, with this understanding as a backdrop about time, I want to explain our understanding of the day of the Lord. Similar principle. The word day vary from a specific event, alright, to an extended period of time, but having the characteristics of a 24-hour day. Okay, we know what is a 24-hour day. A day begins at midnight, right? Your calendar, today is the 14 and 7, 20, tomorrow is 20, 14 and 7, 21. Today is 20th, correct? Alright, today is 20th. 21st of February begins tonight, just past midnight, alright? That's when the clock changed, the calendar changed, okay? So a day begins at midnight. So let's take it as midnight, 00, .00 or in darkness, and it advanced to dawn. And let's say all assume that dawn starts at 6 a.m. Okay? Singapore, we shifted the, the clock to 7 a.m. where it's uh, getting a little bright, all right? In the past, our clock was closer to, I think, uh, Bangkok. No, Bangkok is one hour behind. Uh, to, all right, whatever, the, the, the one hour ahead. Uh, so advancing to dawn. <clears throat> and then it's full daytime, all right? Full daylight. And then it moved towards dusk. And let's assume dusk, it turns dark at 6 p.m. Okay? At, at the evening with another period of darkness. And then another day begins again when? Just after midnight. Okay? So when you look at all the scriptures about the day of the Lord and try to fit it in here and to connect the dots about the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord begins with the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, The day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. But we are the church. We are brethren. We are not in darkness that that day should overtake us. That means Paul is telling us we should not be surprised. It will come when it is dark. It's dark for who? It's dark for the world. And that's why we look at the situation in the world today. It's getting darker. Lawlessness is increasing. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse all over the world. All right, uh, things that's happening today is COVID 19. We are all wearing masks. We can only gather in zones of 50. All right, five zones of 250. We cannot gather as before 700, 800 of us in one service. But now we can only have 250 plus a handful of volunteers here and there. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. We are children of the light and of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus. 
So the day of the Lord begins with the rapture, the removal of the church. Then it is followed by the seven years tribulation. The seven years tribulation, as we have preached, all right, is the judgment of destruction and devastation where most of the Old Testament scriptures referencing the day of the Lord refer to. All the scriptures are given to you in the handout, all right, and, uh, which is going to be on the website. The uh, seven years tribulation judgment. So the day of the Lord is the time of God's wrath on broadly Israel for her unbelief and rejection of Jesus the Messiah and upon the nations of the world for their rebellion and their rejection of God. You find that in the world, Jesus has already said in John 15, John 17, the world will hate you. Somebody was, sent, was sending uh, an article recently from a uh, latest Barna research in the US and it says that the faith of the young people today compared with their parents, it is almost poles apart. They no longer share the same values. All right? And increasingly, this is very subtle. After one generation and another generation, and this is very evident, especially in the US, supposedly a Christian nation. It started as a Christian nation. But today, it is as worldly as what it can, it can be. All right? Far away from the values of Scripture. This phrase, the nations of the world, is mentioned in all the references there when the judgments fall, the, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bow judgments. And it says they fell on those who dwell on the earth. And even then, it's recorded in Revelation, yet they did not repent, yet they did not turn to God, yet they punched their feet at the face of God. Defiant, all right? Defiant, digging in God-haters. And this is the world that we're living in. Don't be naive, all right? We live in Singapore, thank God, we are very blessed. Uh, we have many things that are in our favour, but not so, all right? Not so when you deal and when you relate with people, all right, who are God-haters and God-rejecters. Then it will climax and end the tribulation at Jesus' second coming, at the battle of Armageddon. <clears throat> Matthew 24, 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man shall appear in heaven. Then all the traps of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It will climax at the battle of Armageddon, where demons will stir the nations to all go to Jerusalem to want to annihilate and kill Israel, destroy the nation of Israel, destroy the Jews, which is Satan's agenda, all right, which I will elaborate in the next two messages in Matthew 24. He will go all out as in Revelation chapter 12, to kill all remaining remnant of the Jews. You pursue them, all right? You stir the elements and the weather and the great flood and so forth to want to destroy every single Jew to discredit God. Armageddon is mentioned in Zechariah 14 verse 1 to 5. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. I will gather the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken... <clears throat> The houses rifled, the women ravished, they'll be raped. Half of the city shall go into captivity. The remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. And in the day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. This is the second coming, not the rapture. The second coming, He will land on the Mount of Olives. There will be an earthquake, all right? And it says that the Mount of Olives will split into two. One half move north, one half will move South, all right? And there shall be a large valley. And then verse 5, Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints. Here is the verse for the, for the rapture. Who are the saints with Him? The church has already been raptured earlier on. 
and those who died earlier on, the Old Testament saints, they will come back with the Lord. All right, the Lord will come and the saints with Him. The second coming of the Lord, Revelation 19, I saw heaven open. Jesus, the faithful and true one, in righteousness He judges. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On His head were many crowns. Because He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. Uh, end of verse 13, He's the Word of God. Verse 14, all the armies in heaven, which is the church with Him, will come. Verse 15, out of His mouth will come a sharp sword. Uh, that with which he will strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. There's nothing about love here. He's no longer saviour. He's coming back as a judge. He himself will tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe, verse 16, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, an angel standing in the sun, he cried with a loud voice, he's calling to all the vouchers, all the birds, come and feast and eat the flesh of kings of captains, of mighty men, of horses, and those who sit on them. Why? They'll all die. They'll all be killed. And they'll f- they will feast on their flesh, the flesh of animals and men. And verse 19, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. This is the battle of Armageddon. It's a very deliberate war. Those who are God-haters, Israel-haters, the Word of God haters, they will come and they are defined because they will be demonically inspired and motivated, demonically stirred all right, at this battle. Then this will be followed by the millennial messianic kingdom where Christ shall rule in the midst of the earth. It will be a blessing to the nation of Israel. It will be a time of peace, a time of joy and rejoicing in Israel. All right? uh, we know this in Zechariah 40. And in that day, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea. The western sea is in the Mediterranean. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king where? Over all the earth. Another scripture here to substantiate that Christ's rule in the millennial kingdom will be on earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one. And his name one. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. By the time we come to the millennial kingdom, God would have fulfilled all his covenants with Israel. Every single promise to Israel, every single promise to and covenant to Israel will be fulfilled. Then the millennium will end by another night of judgment. The great white throne judgment. And the judgment where all the books will be open. There is a book for every human life. All the books will be open. We know this from Revelations 20, 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne. Verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And verse 13 of Revelation 20, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. That means those who drowned, or those who were on, 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 on a cruise or on the working on uh, uh, all tankers or cargo ships or container ships, 
all right? And for whatever, the hurricane or whatever, they died and their bodies were into the sea eaten by sharks, all right? The sea will give up the dead. Whatever ashes that is left, whatever teeny-weeny bit of ash and of the mortal flesh, death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one according to his works. The works depict our lives. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And verse 15, what I shared earlier on, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we believe in God, when we respond to the revelation of God, even for people who are living in the tribal area, who have never heard the gospel, the revelation of God in creation, the revelation of God in conscience, the revelation of God of the eternity in men, Whatever way God has revealed Himself to them as they respond. The group of people in Acts chapter 17, they did not know who is this God. They, they had a little stone and says to the unknown God. And Paul went there to describe and explain to them who is this living God. Judgment will always be according to the revelation of God. The day of the Lord will then end after all the judgments and then begins a new day. <coughs> this new day is known, there's another term here, is known as the day of God. This day of God is mentioned in 2 Peter 3.12. And what is the day of God? It is eternity. It's where the new heavens and the new earth will come into play. Alright? So let me put this together, the summary of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord begins with rapture. As a thief in the night followed by the tribulation. And after the seven years of tribulation, it's followed by Christ's second coming. And after Christ's second coming and the battle of Armageddon, it's followed by the millennial messianic kingdom. And then all the judgments, the great white throne judgment and judgments from the books that are open, followed by the day of God. Alright, is that the day of the Lord? Is the day of God with the new heavens and the new earth as we enter into eternity. By which time, by which time there is no more time? There is a time when there was no time in the past, eternity, future. There was a time God created time. And within the dimension of time, God created space. And within time and space, God created man. This time dimension is only for 7,000 years. The last 1,000 years is the millennial reign and rule of Christ. And after that, there is no more time. We will be ushered into eternity, alright, with our new glorified bodies. So let me, I developed this chart, alright, trying to connect the dots if you can follow it together. So let's assume midnight, 000 is the beginning of a new day. Let's assume 6 a.m., is the beginning of daylight. Let's assume 6 p.m., 1800 hours, is the beginning of darkness, all right, in the night. And then 00, zero again is the beginning of another new day, all right? So putting it all pictorially, the day of the Lord covers this entire period, one day, midnight to midnight, okay? And what, how does it begin? It begins with the rapture, as a thief in the night, all right? Um, I read a couple of articles that mention this narratively, but I've not seen a chart, alright? So I thought it's best to put this pictorially. So it begins as the thief in the night at midnight. 
that throughout from midnight to 6 a.m. is a very dark night. And why is it a dark night? The tribulation years. Terrible times. Very dark night. And then until we enter into dawn, in the early dawn, all right, uh, it will end with the second coming, with the battle of Armageddon. And after that, it will follow with a bright day. All right, from dawn all the way to dusk, it's a bright day. Why is it a bright day? Because it's the millennial messianic kingdom reign of Christ on the earth. It will be heaven on earth, so to speak. Then it will end the day and it will go into darkness again. Why darkness again? Why dark night again? Because of the judgments. The great white throne judgment and the judgment of the books that are open. And then as he approaches midnight again, which is another new day, all right? A new day is called the new day of God. Why is it a new day of God? It will be eternity future. The new heavens and the new earth. As I develop this, I'm just looking at the, the time period that the tribulation is relatively, relatively short in the scheme of the 24-hour day. It's about six hours. Whereas the bright day, the 1,000 years, all right, from, from dawn to dusk is a bright day. And then the darkness again is relatively short before the start of another new day, the day of God. I think if we understand this, if we connect the dots, we put all the scriptures together, this is the explanation of the day of the Lord. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the day of Christ. Very simple. The day of Christ is only mentioned in the New Testament. It's only mentioned in the New Testament. The day of Christ. And it's found in Paul's epistles, as I explained in the earlier messages. All right. Uh, this part is very simple. So it is mentioned, for example, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1. Paul said he was praying for the Corinthian Christians that they will be confirmed unto the end and he tell them to be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? He's talking about the rapture. Immediately following the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ. And what was his exhortation? That you be blameless. What's the meaning of blameless? That we are without fault. In 1 Corinthians 5, he says the same thing about the guy who committed incest, all right, with the, with the mother, that the spirit may be saved in the day of Christ. Make sure your name is written in the book of life. And in 2 Corinthians 1, he says that you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So at the rapture, as part and parcel of the church, we will see each other in the day of the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6, he was praying for the Philippian saints. He says, God which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is a greeting we normally give each other, all right? Especially for those we visit in the mission field. Keep up the good work, all right? God has begun a good work in you, in the ministry and so forth. Keep growing, keep on persevering, all right, for the Lord. <clears throat> in Philippians 1, he had a prayer. He prayed that their love may grow more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, in discernment, that they will prove things that are best that they'll be sincere and without offense until when? Until the day of Christ. Now notice this series of messages we, that tells us, that exhorts us, we are looking forward to the rapture. We are looking forward to the blessed hope. Therefore, how shall we live? The same words. To be blameless, to be without fault, all right? to be sincere, to be without offense. Not live our lives any way we want because we're going to be raptured. No, because the day of Christ after the rapture follows the judgment seat of Christ. And this has to be emphasized at the same time. There will be consequences if we are not blameless. 
Philippians chapter 2, the exhortation on working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God who works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. And Paul says to do all things without murmurings and disputings, that we may be blameless sons of God holding forth the word of life so that He can rejoice in the day of Christ. I want to rejoice in the day of Christ. All, see all the bibitions, raptured, all the bibitions, all right, uh, who have been through all these years, whether you're here for one year or the last 10 years or the last 30 over years. They will rejoice in the day of Christ. We see and rec recognize each other at the day of Christ. Okay? So the day of Christ has nothing at all to do with God's wrath and judgment upon this earth. I saw an article uh, this past week. One pastor wrote, all right, uh, basically attacking this whole uh, view about the rapture. He says that we, uh, his, and his reasoning is that we will ill prepare the church for the tribulation. Just think about it for a moment. How do you prepare the church for the tribulation? The tribulation will be terrible times. There's no way you can prepare because of the sickness, the disease, the pestilence, the wars, the natural calamities, the cosmic blackout. All the things is beyond your control and beyond my control. There's no way you can prepare for tribulation. We can prepare for persecution, which is happening now today. And for the Christians in the Middle East and in Yemen and so forth, we are believers there. All right? Our brother Sam Boston, whom some of us are very familiar with, all right? he has a lot of brothers and sisters in Yemen and in different parts of Iran and Iraq. All right? We know that the Christians there are gathering and encouraging each other, but they're not looking for tribulation. They're waiting for the Lord to come. So the day of Christ has got nothing to do with God's wrath and judgment. We're not preparing for the tribulation upon the earth. The day of Christ is when the church will meet the Lord in the air at the rapture. The day of Christ is when those who are dead and alive in Christ shall get their new, resurrected, glorified bodies. And at that time, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Then the corruptible should put on incorruption and the mortal should put on immortality. All that we've talked about up to now. We're looking forward all right, for our bodies to be changed. So what is the bottom line? The day of Christ is distinct from the day of the Lord. The day of Christ is one of great anticipation, one of great joy, of blessing and reward. Whereas the day of the Lord is a time of terror, a time of wrath, a time of dread, a time of woe. What are the promises the Lord has given to us? A quick recap. recap that we are not destined. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 We are to wait for Jesus to come. We are to wait for the rapture. Even Jesus who delivers us from what? He delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath of God is during the seven tribulation years. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 God did not appoint us to wrath. It doesn't make sense for God to love us, to save us, to die for us, and then put us to go through His wrath. But what does He destined and appoint us? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two scriptures here that says we are delivered from the wrath to come. The third scripture, Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my command. This is the letter to the church mentioned in Revelation 3. I will keep you from the hour of trial. What is the hour of trial? The seven years tribulation. Notice the relative use of the different times. A thousand years, a day, the hour. The hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell 
on the earth. What is our portion? We are looking for the blessed hope. How shall we look for the blessed hope? We are to live soberly, righteously, and godly. What I preached at Watch Night, the very first message of this entire series. So the day of Christ is the pre-tribulation rapture. <clears throat> the rapture will happen before the seven years tribulation. It's called also the blessed hope. Philippians 1.10 says that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. For the last two weeks, I think many of you, I don't know, maybe a lot of the young people maybe who are on social media, you would have, now it's blown up in the headlines, all right, about this international apologist, all right, a man of God who has fallen, he's died. And all his sexual endeavours is all in all the reports. I knew about this some years ago, all right? It came through the Christian journalism, through what we call the Julie Royce report. And there are many articles, many blogs that are being written, all right? And when I was first asked to make a public statement, I said, what's the point? I remember the words of Jesus when the woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus, what did Jesus say? He who is without sin cast the first stone. I'm a sinner. I dare not cast the first stone. But over this week alone, I got so many groups. I got a pastor's group. I met on Thursday. This morning, the elders met. Uh, on, on Wednesday night, Tuesday night, I had dinner with different groups. And, and on Monday, the pastoral meeting. I was wondering and thinking in this last two weeks, how shall I end this message? This verse, Philippians 1.10. Paul says that we may be able to discern what is best and that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The rapture is coming, the day of Christ. What should be our posture? What should be our position? What should be our position? We should be pure and blameless. So I posed these two questions to the pastoral staff on Monday. All right? I just go into our breakout rooms. We met on Zoom, all right? in our groups of fours and threes. Let's discuss these two questions. First question, what am I presently doing to be on track? What am I presently doing now, today, all right? to be pure and blameless. The King James Version says to be sincere and without offence. I know of people who are offended, offended by the church. In fact, I just uh, was having lunch yesterday, today Saturday, yesterday, yeah, uh, sitting next to me, I was just asking this lady, she is in the same peer with a group of five other ladies. They grew up together at primary school, they came to church and so forth. And, and one of the, the, the friends left uh, for overseas for studies and so forth and came back and left the church. And I was asking her why. Offences. Offended by the leader, offended by the pastor who says, uh, you must uh, do this, you do that, all right? Uh, what is Paul saying here? That we should be pure and blameless, we should be sincere and without, without means don't have offence. How do we go about life without offence? We need to learn to forgive. We need to recognize that we are all fallen people. We need to be healed. Because if we are not healed, wounded people will wound other people. We will hurt other people. And therefore, we go into this spiral. We get into the wilderness. You're probably wondering how come today's message is so short. Because I want to spend a fair bit of time on this. And this is important. How we prepare ourselves for the day of Christ. What are you, what am I presently doing? To be pure and blameless. To be sincere and without offence. 
until the day of Christ for the day of Christ. Because if not, you're going to trip, you're going to stumble. I'm not responsible for the other local churches. I'm responsible for BPTC. I'm responsible for all of you who are gathered on site and for those of you who are watching online. This is the word of the Lord. And for those of you who are plugged into BBTC, the second question, what are currently good practices in BBTC that I must wholeheartedly commit to so as to finish well? So among the pastors, there was one young pastor. He was saying, we have this A and C, accountability and covering, where we are to be accountable to each other. But if we are not wholehearted about it, we can lie through our teeth. Edmund, uh, there was an article by this pastor uh, who asked Ravi Zacharias. He said, Ravi Zacharias lied to his face. But he only realized it now. The guy is dead. I read another article by a pastor in the US who posed the question to uh, these apologies. And he did not get a satisfactory answer. He cancelled his invitation for these apologies to speak at the platform. Because he suggested something was not right. So this has been developing over the years. And in my discussion with various groups, one of the things that crossed my mind, Numbers 32, 23 says, your sins will find you out. Hokkien word, in Cantonese, you can never run away. Nothing can be hidden from God. Your sins will find you out. In a pastoral meeting, one of the pastors was just joking. He said one of the ways he keeps himself pure and blameless he fears his wife. He tells his wife everything. <laughs> All right. Uh, he said, one thing, you must have fear of God and fear your wife. Tell your wife everything. And if you don't tell, your wife say, what are you not telling me? <laughs> and there was another leader who was just uh, remarking uh, the other day. All right. Uh, he said, oh, this couple is very loving. All right. They always call the wife darling here, darling there, and so forth. He said, if I call my wife darling, my darling, the wife will say, what have you done wrong? <laughs> We cannot escape because you live with your wife, you live with your spouse for many years, whether it's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and you know each other. One of the things as I was reflecting upon myself, I was a very cerebral Christian, very mind. I grew up with Scripture Union. I grew up with the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I grew up with the Graduate Christian Fellowship, and when you have topics like developing a Christian worldview, I'm very excited. Things of the mind, study the Word of God, exegesis, exponential, uh, not exponential, uh, uh, exegete the Word, all right, uh, and so forth, which I'm going to do in the next two messages. I'm going to expo exegete verse by verse the entire 24, Matthew and Matthew 25. But I realized until my renewal when I was about 38, 39 years old, when I was very touched by the Spirit of God, and I shared this before, I responded to the altar call. And what happened? I wept and I wept and I wept. God needed to touch me from the head to my heart, to my spirit. And since then, since my renewal, when I was 38 or 39 years old, this was in 1992 or 1991 until today, I've not fallen. I've not backslided, so to speak. And every year, how do I keep myself close to the Lord? One of the things I enjoyed, which I shared on the Thursday pastors group when we were having a mentoring, I said one of the very important things that I appreciate and look forward is our corporate worship. I will most of the time, all right, if I'm not preaching, I'll be sitting right in front. And for the half an hour, 
35 and 40 minutes is my time with God in the midst of the corporate worship where most of the time my eyes will be closed. Some of the time my mind may wander around but then I'll quickly come back. <laughs> but it's a very precious time. It's when God deals with me, with my, when my heart connects with the heart of God, when my spirit connects with the spirit of God, when this created being connects with the creator and something always happens deep in my spirit. That particular worship service, maybe nothing appears to be significant, but over time, over time, <clears throat> week in, week out, week in, week out, something will happen to you. You will be changed when you are touched with the Spirit of God. So I'm just commenting to uh, these different groups that when we have become very cerebral, very good, very important, and which is why we emphasize we need to be word and spirit church. That without the Holy Spirit touching our innermost being, without experiencing God, we become more vulnerable to fall. I put the scriptures there, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 11. He said we need to experience, we need to know the Father. The word gnosis in Greek. We need to know the Son. We need to know the Holy Spirit. And it comes by experience after experience after experience. The reality of God. And when God is real in our lives, when we receive His love, when we experience His peace, when we know His joy and His strength, that He walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. When we go through difficult situations in our office, when we go through a crisis, when we face difficult decisions, difficult colleagues, difficult customers, difficult people even in the family, and see us, God walking us through, it makes all the difference. And when our lives are changed, when God is real, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our living, it will keep us from falling. I found two promises in the Bible where we need not fall. One is in the book of Jude. Jude 24 says, we need to pray and commit ourselves in total surrender to Him who can keep us from falling. It means a decision. It means that we must decide to follow Jesus. It means that we must commit ourselves totally to God, in total dependency on God. But there is a condition there, three conditions. Number one, build our faith. Number two, keep ourselves receiving the love of the Father. And number three, keep on praying in the Holy Spirit. It's in the book of Jude. He says, when you do these things, you will never fall. The other promise is in the 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 11. He says, if you do all these things in increasing measure, you will never fall. What are all these things? Experiencing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Build your faith. And then he says, when you build your faith, have moral excellence. Keep on pursuing moral excellence. Keep on pursuing virtue. Don't flirt around with pornography. Don't flirt around. We will all flirt around. I flirted around. But when you come to your senses, quickly get out of it. You, when you come to your senses, get out of it. In the past, it may be weeks and months, but now it should come to the day, the hour, the minute, the 10 seconds. Get out of it. Add to your faith, moral excellence. And then experience with God. But when we have experience with God, our pride comes in. They say if we experience with God knowledge, we must have self-control. Then godliness. Factoring God in all our living, 
brotherly kindness, and godly love. He says when we do all these things, we will never fall. We don't want to fall. We don't want to live a lie. One last point about the Holy Spirit. Romans 9.1 says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Our conscience is in our spirit. What is our conscience? Our conscience is our sense of right and wrong. Our conscience can grow, grow exponentially sensitive to the Holy Spirit or our conscience can grow exponentially seared and become shipwrecked. I think that was what happened to this apologist who is world-renowned. The conscience becomes seared and when the conscience becomes seared and when it is shipwrecked, when the ship is shipwrecked, it means water gets into the ship, the ship can't sail anymore. When it's shipwrecked, it will lead to deception. Deception means we begin to lie. We begin to deceive ourselves and deceive other people. Pursue the other way. Have a sensitive conscience. And I've shared with you openly. The last one was when I sent my car for a workshop and the workshop guy volunteered to send the car for a Vicom inspection, all right? Because the car is 10, 11 years old. And uh, he did forget to bill me for the extra $75 or whatever. I have to make a, an effort to go all the way there to pay him that item which he did not bill me. Or in the restaurant, when the guy fails to bill you for the extra chili crab or black pepper beef or whatever, that's not in the bill, you have checked and cleared your credit card, you are in the car park, you're going to make all the way back to the restaurant, surrender the cheat, resubmit your credit card. This is all about pursuing a clear conscience. Acts 24, 16. Paul says, I strive, I strive to have a conscience clear before God and before men. Church, this is how we keep ourselves pure and blameless. I'm as vulnerable as you are. I'm tempted all the time. Entitlement as senior pastor, privileges. Who doesn't want entitlement and privileges? But it is not something we demand. If the elders give it to you, then you will consider, consider whether to accept it. But if they do not give it to you, <clears throat> you just have to learn to accept your lot and be content. Why you be content and accept your lot? Because who sees, heaven sees. You truly believe in God. If God has placed you in your, in your job, nobody can remove you from the job. And if you are being removed, does God see, does heaven see? God sees. So we need to make up our minds. What do you value more? Your relationship with God? Your conscience, your experience with God? Is Jesus your reward? Is Jesus your reward? Don't flirt around with our faith. Don't flirt around with Christianity. Don't flirt around about coming to church and going, going and doing all our religious things. Of late, I've been using these two phrases. Stop being politically correct. Stop appearing to have pseudo-spirituality. What did Paul say here? That you may be pure and blameless. That you may be sincere and without offence for the day of Christ or until the day of Christ. 